This is The Guardian. Today, is the new Northern Ireland Protocol deal a triumph for Rishi Sunak? Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. In the two years since it was introduced, the Northern Ireland Protocol has caused nothing but trouble. For anyone sending goods like food, medicines or plants between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, it's meant masses of paperwork and expense. Empty shelves have been the image of the early days of the Irish sea border because getting those goods across the Irish Sea now involves a huge amount of time-consuming administration. And for politicians, it's caused even more trouble. Unionists in Northern Ireland say the deal has undermined their aspirations and economic opportunities, rights that were written into law under the Good Friday Agreement. And because of that, unionist politicians have brought the Northern Irish Parliament to a standstill. As I've said before, while the present protocol arrangements remain in place, it cannot be business as usual for North-South relations. Unionists feared that the protocol was weakening the union between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. And politicians in Westminster knew it couldn't last any longer. Finally, after months of negotiations, Rishi Sunak made a breakthrough. Together, we have changed the original protocol and are today announcing the new Windsor framework. And yesterday, alongside Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, announced that they'd reached a new agreement that they were calling the Windsor Framework. Today's agreement delivers smooth-flowing trade within the whole United Kingdom, protects Northern Ireland's place in our union, and safeguards sovereignty for the people of Northern Ireland. This new deal, Sunak promised, would not only remove laborious checks on goods travelling across the Irish Sea, it would also reconfirm that Northern Ireland was an integral part of the UK. Today's agreement is written in the language of laws and treaties. But really, it's about much more than that. It's about stability in Northern Ireland. It's about real people and real businesses. It's about showing that our union that has lasted for centuries can and will endure. Now it looks like the Prime Minister might have succeeded, where his recent predecessors had failed. As Jess Elgott, The Guardian's deputy political editor, explains. It certainly looks like this is a big victory for Rishi Sunak. It's his first really big achievement in government. It's definitely goes much further than many MPs, even supportive MPs, believed it could go. And I think that he'll be pleased with that. 
From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Will the Windsor framework solve the Northern Ireland Brexit problem once and for all? Jess, we're recording this on Monday evening at the end of what's been a very, very hectic day for you. We're in the House of Commons, so people might hear a little bit of hubbub in the background. I mean, you, like every political journalist in this country, has been waiting for these negotiations to come to a conclusion. You've been chasing around, haven't you, from the House of Commons to Windsor as Rishi Sunak's been holding these last-minute talks to get a deal done. In basic terms, what has happened today? So what's happened today, Rishi Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen, who's the um, European Commission president, have met to agree some pretty fundamental changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol and ones that um, I think were, were sort of seen even a year ago or six months ago as being very difficult to achieve. The UK had fallen into a very adversarial relationship with Brussels. There was a degree of mutual mistrust um, particularly the EU was saying that they would not rewrite the, the text of the protocol, uh, which is something that has happened today. And the big difference is now that there are going to be some changes to the original text of the protocol. In very broad terms, what it's doing is making it easier for traders, particularly between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, scrapping basically all trade restrictions between GB and Northern Ireland. There's new freedoms for quite critical things like medicines, but also for your pet to move over the Irish Sea if you want to. And the big surprise measure is um, this thing called the Stormont Break, which means the Northern Ireland Assembly can oppose new EU goods rules that would, would have kind of significant and lasting effects on people's day-to-day lives and therefore they can object to them. So how exactly is it going to work for people trading goods across the Irish Sea now? One of the fundamental victories that Rishi Sunak is heralding is this creation of these new green and red lanes. So green lanes will be goods that are destined from Great Britain to Northern Ireland that don't have to be subject to to any checks at all anymore. Um, And red lanes, which will apply the customs checks that could find their way into the EU, i.e. into the Republic of Ireland. Today's agreement delivers the smooth flow of trade within the United Kingdom. Goods destined for Northern Ireland will travel through a new green lane. In the green lane burdensome customs bureaucracy will be scrapped. It means food retailers like supermarkets, restaurants and wholesalers will no longer need hundreds of certificates for every lorry. And that will make a very big difference to retailers who have had to fill in you know, hundreds of bits of paperwork for every lorry load of items that they want to move essentially between the same countries. Having an effective border down the Irish Sea has been one of the, the sort of great criticisms of the original protocol. There is a broad acknowledgement in Brussels as well that that was something that just wasn't working and was unfair and needed to be addressed. I'm interested in the setup of how this has been announced. Ursula von der Leyen, who's the president of the European Commission, came to the UK to jointly announce this deal. This new framework will allow us to begin a new chapter. It provides for long-lasting solutions that both of us are confident will work for all people and businesses in Northern Ireland. What's the significance, do you think, of her travelling over? I think particularly von der Leyen was great pains in that press conference to stress the changed relationship. She called him dear Rishi at one point. And it was a very warm 
relations between the two of them. She said from the moment they'd first met, he'd made it really clear to her that he wanted to start afresh with the relationship, to negotiate in really good faith, and that there was a will to make a deal. Lisa O'Carroll, you're The Guardian's Brexit correspondent, so I hope you can bring some clarity to what is quite a complicated story. The Northern Ireland Protocol was brought in in January 2021 as the UK split from the EU. What was the thinking behind it? What it means is that um, goods going from Great Britain into Northern Ireland are subjected to the same type of checks as goods going from Great Britain to Europe, the rest of Europe, whether it's Ireland or France. And the reason behind that was to ensure that there was no controls on the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. As we know, during the Troubles, there were, you know, there were checkpoints, there were control towers, you know, there was heavy infrastructure on the border in Ireland and it became a target for the IRA. The IRA headquarters were here, a caravan shielded by a wall of concrete at Clochlin, just 50 yards from the border. Deserted farm sheds next door were used to store explosives. Groups of IRA men stayed here regularly, using the shelter of their concrete bunker to fire on British troops. And there was a feeling that if so soon after the Good Friday Agreement, the peace agreement, had been signed, that if there was any infrastructure put on the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland that there would be a return to violence. There would definitely have been civil disobedience. Everybody considered that that was not a good thing, that the peace agreement had predated Brexit and that Brexit had to have a special um, solution that didn't impact on the Good Friday Agreement. Good evening. A historic day at Stormont after two years of talks and after a generation of bloodshed and decades of division and acrimony, George Mitchell ushers in what the whole island hopes will be a new era of peace, an agreement that unites loyalist and Republican, unionist and nationalist leaders in a wide-ranging historical accord. The two prime ministers emerged just before six this evening to inaugurate the historic agreement they hope will usher in a new era for the island. There was praise for the Taoiseach and for the parties from Tony Blair, who paid tribute to all who had lost their lives in the conflict, suggesting that the nature of today's deal would change relationships in Northern Ireland forever. The protocol has caused so many practical issues between the UK and the island of Ireland. Can you just run us through some of those? To understand the problems with the protocol, we can go back to the day the protocol uh, came into force in January 2021. Everybody was concentrating on what the changes meant on the Dover-Calais route, on exporters to the EU. And nobody's really paying any attention to the protocol and how it was impacting one region, a small region with 1.5 million people in the UK. And I think at the time, one of the reasons why that um, happened was really practical, that everybody involved was absolutely exhausted when the protocol came in. So the next thing we know, two, three weeks in, there are shortages of food in the supermarkets because the retailers in the rest of the UK, the big supermarkets like Marks and Spencers, the, the department stores like John Lewis, they don't know how to deal with the protocol. So they decide, right, for the moment, we're not selling into Northern Ireland. Heading into Northern Ireland from Scotland, these ferries have become the flashpoint for the UK's first battle with the EU post-Brexit. 
The checks on some goods coming into Northern Ireland from Britain are frustrating some businesses and consumers. But they're also firing up a unionist sense of grievance and abandonment. And so it went on. It got worse. Suddenly, sea potatoes weren't available to crop farmers in Northern Ireland. Plants for nurseries, garden centres weren't available in Northern Ireland because of rules about soil. So then what happened was Boris Johnson's government was very gung-ho. Boris Johnson saying, no, there's no checks. Um, that all turned out to be not true, as anybody who followed the protocol knew. Things are constrained. We have to protect the integrity of the United Kingdom. We also have to uh, protect uh, Ireland, make sure that the, uh, Ireland continues to enjoy the benefits of the single market, make sure we protect the Good Friday uh, peace process, uh, make sure there are no checks at the, at the border. It became a sort of festering sore. And with COVID and, you know, that crisis dominating, I think that just there was just kind of political drift in relation to the protocol. Tell me then about the political issues that it's caused between the UK and, and Ireland. The row over Brexit really soured relations between Ireland and Britain. And I think, you know, successive Tishi have said that it was probably the worst thing that had happened to Anglo-Irish relations in, you know, in 50 years. You know, there was a Good Friday agreement and everybody was on board. People were, were in Northern Ireland were getting very used to the idea of you know, you could be British, Irish or both in Northern Ireland and people were getting along and peace had been there for, you know, the best part of 20 years. So just remind us, what is the Good Friday Agreement and how does it work? The Good Friday Agreement, basically, it created a system of power sharing. It's mandatory to have representatives from the two opposing sides. So you don't have a government and an opposition. You have Sinn Féin and DUP, not in a coalition, but in a power sharing structure. And so that's the main part of um, the Good Friday Agreement. There are two other strands to it in relation to the relations between East and West, the UK and Ireland, and then relations between the North of Ireland or Northern Ireland and Ireland. And so when Brexit came into effect, it changed everything. So Brexit was a massive disruptive force. While the EU and the UK, um, Dublin and London, agreed that the protocol would be a way of ensuring that there, there was a continuation of peace in Ireland, the unionists felt that the Good Friday Agreement was being breached because they hadn't consented to this protocol. That's a fairly serious thing to say. So the um, DUP, in order to get heard, pulled... Um, there are people from the top of uh, the assembly. Last February, uh, unionists have to be represented at the executive level. Say that's the cabinet, equivalent to a cabinet. Um, so if you don't have unionists, you can't have power sharing. Therefore, you don't have a government. In the past two years that the protocol has been in place, what problems has it been causing both politically and logistically? So I guess logistically you can break it down into sort of three big areas. So there's the movement of goods, which we've talked about. The other is the kind of unionism. So, for example, when Rishi Sunak at a budget announces new VAT rules on solar panels or breaks on alcohol duty, Northern Ireland can't benefit from stuff like that. So it, there's a kind of two-tier system, mm. um, which overall, you know, unionists, conservative Brexiteers, the DUP are, are, are very much anti. And I think most right-thinking people are anti as well. 
And then the other point is sovereignty, which is about Northern Ireland being subject to EU laws, being subject to rulings from the European Court of Justice. Now, obviously, Conservative Brexiteers and the DUP have some different tests about how it's going to judge this agreement. And what is quite fundamental for them is whether Northern Ireland is subject to any EU laws at all. Unless you're going to have that hard border down um, the, the island of Ireland, so have it between the Republic and Northern Ireland, then you're going to have Northern Ireland in the single market, effectively, so, so subject to EU laws. But now in this newly negotiated agreement, you have the new Stormont break, which essentially means that the Northern Ireland Assembly can oppose new rules that might be introduced if they feel they have enough of a significant effect. And that can be done if 30 members from at least two parties in the Assembly object to them. Now it gives elected members of the Northern Ireland Assembly more of a say over those laws if they have a good reason to say they'll have a very direct effect on, on Northern Ireland. So the next big moment will be that there will be a parliamentary vote on this, which will be key, but Sunak isn't at risk of losing that vote because Labour has said it will support this agreement. So there's no chance of him actually losing the vote in the House of Commons. But there are two big risks that still exist. The, the first one is that he absolutely does not want to rely on Labour votes to pass this deal. That would make him look incredibly weak and as a Prime Minister that didn't have the support of his party. The DUP support is important for another reason, which is that ultimately it's very hard to see how any of this works without the restoration of power sharing at Stormont. The DUP need to be prepared to go back into that assembly. And that's a very big bridge to cross. Jess, we knew from the beginning that reaching an agreement with Europe was probably the easier part. The real challenge has always been getting Tories and Irish unionists on board. The DUP has been angry that they weren't involved in the negotiations for the original deal that was made by Boris Johnson. What have they said so far about this new agreement? So there have been some reaction from more hardline um, MPs in the DUP where they say, you know, it doesn't cut the mustard and suggests that it, you know, doesn't do enough to remove any trace of EU law. On the other hand, the leader of the DUP, Geoffrey Donaldson, you know, says that it's very clear that there's significant progress has been made across a number of areas and recognise what the DUP's key concerns have been. And that, on the face of it, sounds reasonably promising for Sunak, although he's got to deal with the divisions in his party. And Donaldson said there's no disguising that, you know, EU law remains applicable in Northern Ireland. People I've spoken to in Number 10 about this, their line is essentially they don't need the DUP to embrace it, love it. They need them just to not say no. Would the DUP have any powers to veto this agreement if once they've had the chance to read through the whole um, detail of it? I mean, no, in principle, because Sunak needs to put this to, to Parliament. The DUP, you know, don't have enough FMPs to sink it. And number 10, I've always said they want to bring the DUP along with them. They want their support. But, you know, that's within limits. They're not involved in the negotiations. Some MPs, particularly Eurosceptic backbenchers, were demanding they get a vote on whatever deal was done. As you've said, that vote is going to go ahead. But, you know, as far as you've been able to glean so far, and it, and it hasn't been many hours since this deal was announced, what has been the feeling from the Eurosceptic backbenchers? I think that we've seen some quite heartening 
things from Eurosceptic backbench. I was taking a look as we were waiting into the press conference at the Brexit Spartans. They were the MPs who voted three times against Theresa May's Brexit deal. Now, you know, several of them aren't in Parliament anymore. I think at least three of them are ministers now in this government. The rest, you know, some of them are a bit more circumspect. So... You know, that takes us down to 18 or 19 who could potentially vote against this deal. And that's nothing like the 100 MPs that that some Brexiteers were saying could object to this. And I think, you know, particularly when you've got the Northern Ireland Minister, Steve Baker, who was essentially the whip for the ERG, European research group of, of sort of very hardline Brexiter MPs who really dominated the Brexit discourse under Theresa May. Uh, Steve Baker was a leading light in that, as was Chris Heaton-Harris, who's the Northern Ireland secretary now. They were extremely well organised. They acted almost like a shadow political party, you know, with a whipping system, with a WhatsApp group that would brief lines to take to journalists, that would organise people to be on broadcast rounds opposing their own government. They just don't have that kind of structure and organisation anymore, I don't think. And particularly, I think, because Baker has gone into government, he seems like he likes this deal. I'm, I'm really delighted. I'm, I'm actually hand on heart glad to accept the whole thing. He's been effusive about it on broadcast. Um, you know, Chris Eaton Harris has been part of the negotiating teams. So, you know, I think it's likely that we'll see some holdouts. But a big, big question, obviously, is what Boris Johnson does. Coming up, has Sunak's deal sufficiently impressed the Eurosceptics in his party? and seen off the threat from Boris Johnson. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. 
Jess, as you've said, there's a big question over this. Lurking in the background of all of this is Boris Johnson. Why has he been trying to get involved? Well, for those who still would like to see Boris Johnson return as Prime Minister, there could be moments where Johnson can look like the champion of the true Conservative cause versus Sunak. And this is a moment he could take to do that. But also he may feel like he can really gain some ground against Sunak for, by objecting to this. He may say that you know, what Sunak has done is essentially concede that e-law can still have power in Northern Ireland, in part which will mean that, you know, Brexit isn't really done. I think that there's, it's a difficult play for him to make and he, he will probably have to make that decision quite quickly. For Sunak and his standing within the Tory party, you know, you were, you were watching him there making the announcement today. Did this feel like a victorious moment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a moment one of the questions von der Leyen was asked was, why has he succeeded where his three predecessors failed? You know, he could not smile at that moment because there is, what she stressed was that there was a new approach. And that is so good for the kind of self-image that, that Sunak wants to present himself as on the world stage. He wants to present himself, you know, as a complete departure from his predecessors, as someone who is a sensible, a grown-up, you know, a technocrat, a deal-maker, someone who, you know, can restore Britain's reputation as a kind of trustworthy partner. And that way, you know, lies the Tory party's only hope of regaining, you know, any kind of electoral ground. You know, Sunak presenting himself as someone who gets things done and makes progress and solves seemingly intractable problems is the only way to restore credibility. It's 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement um, this April and the political institutions created by that agreement are in gridlock. Do you think that this deal will secure it again? Of course it makes things easy if it gets through and especially if we can restore um, the administration at Stormont then that will make a massive difference to upholding its integrity and we've seen even in the past week like what it looks like when you return potentially to the violence of the past um, with the shooting of the police officer. County Tyrone, Detective Chief Inspector John Caldwell of the Police Service of Northern Ireland was brutally shot by cowardly masked men while he was coaching under 15s football. So and, and it was symbolic I think that both leaders um, opened by talking about that incident and so of course that's at the forefront of people's minds but obviously the great hope is for the 25th anniversary that joe biden will come to market i think it was washington made it pretty clear that if there were still big disputes over the protocol that he it would be very difficult for him to come and kind of have a sort of moment marking the anniversary so hopefully this helps that to happen so that all of that sort of helps people invest again in the principles of it Throughout um, that press conference, Sunak was very sure to say this isn't just about trade and it isn't just about politics. It's also about the broader good of people in Northern Ireland, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he talked not just for the people of Northern Ireland, but the cause of unionism. So for across the United Kingdom, if we want to continue to sort of keep the faith in unionism, then this is a good thing for that cause and it advances it. And it means that, you know, if you want to take your pet to move to Belfast, or if you if you want to um, send a parcel to a friend um, who lives there, then 
you don't have to even think about it being in like a different country. It's like being in the same country. And so, you know, that's a psychological thing that makes a difference. In broader geopolitical terms, how does it seem that this is going to change the relationship between the UK and the US, the UK and uh, the EU? I think the biggest question is what it means now for the UK's future relationship with the EU. Actually, the real question is uh, relationships that the future Labour government might want to advance. You know, if it lo- if the polls are right, it looks like we're on course for Keir Starmer to be Prime Minister. I'm sure there are things that he would wish for us to rejoin. And the first step to that, and one which Sunak is encouraging of, is the Horizon programme, which is for scientists. It's a multi-billion pound programme for, for scientific research. You know, the UK's been cut out of that. It's hugely significant for many scientists working in the UK that they can get re- involved in that programme again. And, and von der Leyen made that really explicit in the press conference, that, that she would immediately start work on allowing us to rejoin it. And there are other things which that could apply to and, you know, would mean that we are able to kind of re-establish a bit more of a sensible, less adversarial relationship with Brussels. And I think move on to having that good relationship that we can have on, like, tackling broader international issues rather than being bogged down in, in this. I'm sure many people listening to this will feel like we've been talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol for such a long time... Do you think this will be the last we're hearing about it? It's very difficult to know because that all depends on how things shake out over the next few days, whether Sunak becomes bogged down yet again in these quarrels in his party, what it means for Stormont, what it means for the way people are voting in Northern Ireland. And of course, you know, Brexit is causing far wider problems to our economy than the Northern Ireland Protocol. You know, And I think that's that's something that has mean you've seen a sort of significant poll shift to show that people by and large regret the Brexit vote. And so, you know, that that has, of course, implications for the settlement as it is, something probably that may, you know, have, have, there might be pressure that rises on that to change our relationship yet again with the EU, especially if we're under a Labour government. Jess, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Jess Elgott and Lisa O'Carroll. Thank you to them and please do read their work at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Cleetzia Sala and Rose de la Rabiti. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury and the executive producers were Hummer Khalili and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.